You're listening to Jai Long and this is Make Your Break, a two-part special episode, part one. Growing up, there was a lot of ups and downs. I loved every part of my life so far and every time I've failed and every time I've been defeated, I have grown and I've learned so much and I wouldn't change that for anything. I also want to note that I've never felt hard done by, I've never felt sorry for myself and I never want anyone to feel sorry for me. I don't play the victim and I don't dwell on my past. Everything for me is about where I'm going and putting the right building blocks in place today for a better tomorrow. The stories I share in this episode are all real events and told as I remember them from my perspective and I don't want any of my family to feel like I'm calling them out or that I'm doing this for any other reason than to just share my stories with the world and share them with myself. The stories that have come to shape my own life. I love all of my friends and all my family and we all have lived different lives and different experiences. In sharing these stories, I hope to inspire those that are in a hard place and show you that you're not alone. We're all humans and most of us don't have control over the cards we've been dealt, but we can change our lives and we can make this world a better place. And I honestly believe that. If these stories resonate with you or you'd just like to reach out to say hi, jump over to Instagram at jialong.co and I'd love to hear from you. We'd like to warn everyone that this episode has triggering material which contains topics such as domestic violence and financial hardship that may be unsettling and unsuitable for a younger audience. So maybe some of you might want to come back to this episode another time. So let's dive in. I've always looked for opportunity, an opening that's happened just for me. And when I see it, I don't hesitate to jump on it. This is one of the reasons why people have always said, I'm the luckiest person I've ever met. And looking back, I don't know if it had much to do with luck actually, but more my intentional state of mind. Today, I'm trying to work out how to buy a house in a little town that I love. It's been a dream for a long time. It's in a quiet town, but a lot is actually happening. It has community and it's close to everything. And it's a perfect getaway for me. And it's also a perfect getaway for the people that I know to get away from everything and just, you know, come down and chill out. But how do I buy this house? Real estate in the area is around a million dollars Australian and it's rapidly growing. Every year I save a little more and every year I'm getting further away from that dream. Even as my business grows, it's, I just seem to be falling behind. And I know a lot of people listening to this podcast could probably relate to that. I think back to other dreams I've had and how I've never let anything stop me, no matter the circumstances and no matter the sacrifices I've had to make. My whole life has been full of drama and reasons that I should be held back. When I was born, my auntie just got out of jail and that same night came to my mum's house seeking somewhere to stay and mum had a newborn and thought it just wouldn't be a good idea to have her stay with us. That night my auntie went and stayed somewhere else and she ended up dying of a drug overdose. This is not something I remember of course, but because my mum has held that guilt her whole life, I have heard the story so many times. That one incident, it pulled my parents apart and mum and I were on our own. It didn't take long though for my mum to meet my stepdad. My stepdad is who I call my dad because he's the only person I can remember bringing me up. He was a wild man and he had loads of wild ideas. He lived right on the edge. He was definitely an outlaw and I'd feel like he just did things for the sake of doing things. Like he would be the guy that drives with no seatbelt on but he'd put it around his shoulder so it looks like he's got a seatbelt on. 
He definitely didn't have an easy upbringing himself, and I reckon he's had his fair share of hardship, even though I didn't really get to hear many of his stories. And you don't realise just how much your parents' struggles end up becoming your own struggles, especially if they haven't dealt with their own problems. My dad would smoke a lot of weed, and I wouldn't say that he was one for finding a job. He loved to live like a nomad, and we all lived in a car, and we travelled along the east coast of Australia, and I loved it. Not having a home, and not having a place to live, it felt like a huge adventure, and I always got to hang out with my parents, and always like laying in the back of the car, and there was, you know, blankets and things going on, and we got to go to the beach all the time, and we literally got to do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. My dad would make big tents from old tarps from trucks actually and would live in them when we, whenever we stopped somewhere for long enough. As the years passed, my mum wanted to get off the streets and live in a house, so she applied for a government house. The waiting list at that time was seven years. Seven years we lived in a car, in tents, in teepees, friends' houses, rentals, trailer parks and everywhere else. Because we did so much travel and I lived a nomadic life, I didn't get a chance to go to school very much there and I did some homeschooling but I was in and out of school and I probably stayed at a school for the most part of like a couple of months at a time. The first time we settled down in a kind of permanent trailer park was a little in a little town called Yukai and it was amazing. Just outside of National Park and there was wildlife everywhere and fruit trees and rivers and it was literally the dream. My dad built a huge teepee and he made it out of truck tarps and we'd walk out the front and I'd catch the bus and go to my new school, which was a great little, you know, public school, cute little school in the country town. And my younger sister was actually born inside that teepee. By this stage, I had three younger brothers and sisters. I still remember the feeling I had when people would ask me where I lived and if they could come over and stay the night. And I never wanted to let anyone know (laughs) that I lived in a tent. So I would talk my way around and out of the question. And to be honest, at that age, I felt embarrassed and I felt poor. I often think, you know, how would that have felt for my parents? They were always trying their best and, you know, they were trying their best with what they had and their kids would go to school and they'd feel embarrassed to talk about where they live and what their life looks like. I know maybe it's different for them and they felt differently, but I couldn't help myself to feel sorry for them. They struggled with money, and I know this. And it wasn't because the fact that we lived in the tent or because we'd get food from charities or because I would steal my own uniform for school or because my dad would shoplift, you know, from the supermarkets to feed us. These things all seemed normal. It was the fact that my parents would fight about money. My mum... She wouldn't be happy that my dad just spent the last bit of money that we had on some weed and some cigarettes and we had no food in the house. Then my dad would run out of drugs and get miserable and found it hard to cope. So when my mum would be screaming at him, he would snap and he would often beat my mum up right in front of me. And that made me feel poor. I'd think, how could you hurt someone you love over, you know, something as stupid as money? I would think about how it didn't, I just felt like we just didn't need money that badly that you would hurt somebody. Then over time, my mindset would change. I would see my mum going through many beatings. And I'd be woken up in the middle of the night and my mum and dad at each other's throats. I'd walk in and I'd see my dad holding a kitchen knife to my mum's throat. And I've seen so much pain and I've felt so much pain and suffering. And I didn't know it could be because my parents might be unstable or because of drugs or other things and I just associated all that pain with money and not having enough money. 
Like imagine how that makes you feel. You don't have something in your life and then you, you think that's the thing that you need to solve all your problems and to bring happiness. The day came we finally moved into a house. It was in the projects and at the time was considered one of the most dangerous streets in our state. Our street was patrolled twice a day by the police and they were called out almost daily for domestic violence or a robbery or something else. There was always something going on in our street. But despite all that, I can tell you I loved it. I loved the people around me and all the friends I made and I felt like our lives were changing. I wasn't embarrassed to tell people where I lived anymore. And of course, despite the house, my parents would still fight and they would go to court and they'd get a restraining order and we'll be put into a women's refuge to protect my mum. My parents will be back together again in a couple of months and they'll be happy and we'll be a happy family and then the cycle would start all over again. I still thought though that money would solve all the problems. So that was my underlining thing. Like if we just had money, mum and dad wouldn't fight. If we just had money, our lives would be changed. Looking back now, you never feel like your life is different to anyone else's though or that you have it worse or better than anyone. Everybody was in the same predicament. Like everybody, there was domestic violence in every house. All my friends experienced all this stuff. So there was never a time that, you know, I felt hard done by or I felt like I was special or different. I was about 13 years old when I got my first job, pulling weeds out of a garden for someone that lived in the next suburb. I seen the job advertised at a local shop and I grabbed it off the notice board and I asked my dad, can we please go down so I can get this job? My dad, my dad had a bit of a laugh and he explained to me, they're looking for someone more you know, older and experienced, but I wanted him to take me down to this house and I begged him so I could just talk to this guy. So dad took me down there and we showed up and I knocked on the door and I said to the guy, I'm here for the gardening job. He looked at me and he explained to me that he's looking for someone older and he realized that I wasn't going to take no for an answer. I told him I need this job. And after my dad seen me pleading with this guy, he stepped in and said, hey, if you give him the job, I will show up as well and I'll help him. So that was my first job. And it was the first bit of money that I actually made without my parents. My dad was there actually, but without my parents' help in a way. And I did this for 12 months and I think my dad got over helping me pull weeds for a couple of dollars an hour, which, you know, obviously I would as well. And then the guy that owned that house came out one day and he told me that he owned a local golf course restaurant and he wanted to give me a job washing dishes and I couldn't believe it. So I would go to school and then after school I would come home and I'd get changed and I'd ride my bike to the golf course and then I'd work all afternoon there and I'd finish up at 11pm at night and I'd ride home in the dark at night and you know I'd crash my bike probably most afternoons, no lights or anything like that. And I can tell you right now it was the hardest money I've ever worked for. I realised real quick that I actually have an opportunity here to change my life. And maybe even my family's life, maybe even my friend's life. Imagine if I made money and I could stop my parents from fighting. That's what was going through my head. That, of course, wasn't ever going to happen, but it didn't stop me from dreaming. So I struggled with school. And I know a lot of people struggle with school, but I felt like school for me, it just wasn't helping my purpose or my goal. And my goal was how to change my life. I just couldn't see the value that school was bringing me and it wasn't helping me. I already knew what my future was and I knew that I wasn't going to get a higher education. I didn't have these opportunities. That wasn't my story. The more I was looking at finishing school, the more it just didn't make sense to me. At the time, my dad actually moved out. My mom actually found somebody else. So I had a stepdad. I was 16 and she told us that we we're expecting another brother or sister. And because my dad wasn't happy with the situation at all, he would write me letters and tell me that he was going to kill himself, so he would send me suicide letters. I would actually find those letters 
and I would hide them from my brothers and sisters and I wouldn't hear from my dad for, you know, sometimes up to 12 months and I literally thought that he killed himself. And then he would show up again and then he would be fine and it would blow my mind. Like, why did you do that to me? So I decided to leave school and move out of home at that time. I was 16 and to be honest, I just didn't want the home life and the drama that was happening there to stop me from my goals. I wanted more. So I moved in with a few friends and I hit the ground running looking for a job. I knew I wanted an apprenticeship and I didn't really care what it was. As long as I was getting a trade and as long as I was levelling myself up. There really wasn't many jobs. You know, it's like a small town, small country Australian town. There's not many opportunities for young people and with employment and even if I didn't know that everyone around me liked to tell me and liked to remind me as well but I was so determined I found a job working for cash in hand as a builder's labourer and at the same time I was getting paid welfare from the government it wasn't much but it was still something and I would work all week and so I would work get that money and I would keep that money for me to live and then I would transfer all the welfare or the actual welfare checks straight to my mum to help her look after my brothers and sisters. So that was just like a little way that I felt at the time that could help them even though I didn't have enough money to live myself. Again, I knew this wasn't the problem, but it was just like step one on how can I make a difference and make a change in the life and the people around me. I found out about a new job site that was happening in town. It was a new art gallery and it's literally the biggest site that hit the town in a long time. And I got so excited. I got up early and I went around to my mum's house and I borrowed her car. I wasn't even old enough to drive yet, but she lent me the keys and she said, okay, as long as it's for a new job. And I said, yep, it's for a new job. Jumped in there, uh, 6 a.m. with my work boots on and I drove up onto the job site and I was wearing my tradie clothes. And I remember my, my heart was pounding out of my chest as I walked onto the site and I walked up to the site office and I knocked on the door and I said to the builder, hey, I'm here to start my new job. And the builder looked confused. Uh, who do you work for? He asked. I work for you. He was confused, but he was impressed by my courage to show up to this job site and ask for a job. He asked if I had a license and a car and he said if I do, he'll give me a job. So, of course, I just pointed straight to my mum's car and said, yeah, I've got a car, I've got a license, of course I do. And he said, great, okay, you've got a job. He actually asked me, is it okay, is $15 an hour okay? Imagine that, $15 an hour. At this time, I was currently getting paid $5 per hour as a labourer, and then this guy asked me, is $15 good enough? For the first time in my life, I felt like I made it. I was rich. I drove home that afternoon to tell all my housemates. I had to borrow my mum's car every day to keep showing up to work. You know, I actually couldn't believe. I was 16. I didn't have a license. I wasn't old enough to drive a car. If you see me when I was 16, I looked like I was 12. I am actually surprised no one ever asked me to see my license. So that job taught me so much. But the biggest lesson out of that job that I got was confidence gets you everything. And that's a huge lesson for me. And that lesson just continues on um, and helps me every single day, like right now. So I end up finding an apprenticeship sometime later as an electrician, and it was the hardest thing I have done to date. I didn't have the knowledge to pass the schooling, and I was miles behind everyone. But after a few attempts, and I failed a few times, got some tutoring, and then I finally made it, and I changed my life, and I was a fully qualified electrician, and now I had the freedom and I had the chance to write my own story. Could you even believe how that felt? To me, it literally felt like, you know, everything is not going right for me. And then 
there's no like end in sight and then all of a sudden you know you accomplish your biggest goal and it happens and then what do you have you've got freedom so i just want to stop here and say you know there's been so many goals and challenges and i know you've had so many as well but you learn from them every time we overcome a new challenge or we create a new goal and we have a new ambition we fight to make it work. We've all done it and we've done it over and over in our lives in so many different ways. So if, when things actually do become hard, I know what thing that I do is I look back and I just look back at the life that I had and what I don't want to go back to. And I also look back at, okay, so if there's a challenge in front of me right now, what challenges have I had before and how did I overcome them? So what's something that's similar to this that I have tackled and how did, did that make me feel? When I finished my apprenticeship, I was in touch with my dad again. This time he wasn't going very well. He was homeless and he was living in a tent just down the road. His drug problem was getting out of hand and he was growing weaker. He, he came to me and he asked me for help one day. You know, imagine that, like your dad, someone that you see that's strong and, you know, a role model, asking for help. He was standing there in the backyard and he looked at me like he's done something wrong and he started crying and he just said I'm sorry <laughs> I could see right there that everything was spiraling out of control for him and I still remember the feeling I had I hugged him and he basically collapsed in my arms giving me one of those hugs that says more than words at that very moment anything I was holding against him or any negative feelings I had with him went away we checked him into a rehab centre and his health and mental health was on the rise. After a few months, he was, he was doing better than I've seen him do better in years and it was literally giving me hope. Like, it was, to see that, it was like game changer for me. And I wanted to get him back on track. So how do you do that? How do you get someone back on track when they've been so lost for so long? He was getting out of rehab soon and I wanted to get him... I wanted to get him a job. Do you know how hard it is to get someone a job that's unemployable? It's one of the, that, that has to be one of the hardest challenges I've had in my life. I wanted to get him a job because I wanted him to feel like he had a purpose and feel like he's wanted and give him you know, a little bit of structure and a little bit of direction and hopefully a little bit of money so he could afford to live somewhere. That's what I wanted to give him. But it daunted on me pretty quick that I couldn't get him a job because he's, he is unemployable. And so if I become the employer, then I am the boss. And then I can take control. I come up with an idea. What if I become the employer? At the time, my girlfriend's parents had a property and they had a building on it that used to be a cafe. And I knew my dad was an amazing cook. And I, for some reason, always wanted to own a cafe. It was like a distant dream. And so I pitched the idea to Lilu's parents and they warned me how hard it's going to be to have a cafe. And me, you know, just like focused so hard on my cause, you know, of helping my dad and changing my life and all these things. I didn't listen to any of the advice and I just went all in, put in every bit of energy I had, every bit of money I had. We renovated it and we transformed it and we turned it into a business. And I turned it into something that I thought people would love. And I was really proud of it. I think it was just like a huge achievement to see this thing come to life. And, you know, it was coming up to opening time and my dad just got out of rehab and it was almost my 21st birthday and we we're going to have a big launch party for the cafe. And I was just so stoked on it right there. 
I drove home that afternoon to see, just go over to my mum's house, and I just wanted to see my mum. And um, she wasn't home, and my brothers and sisters were in the front yard, and they were locked out of the house, and they were waiting for mum. So I remember, you know, I parked my car, and I walked up, and I was like, oh, I'll wait with you guys. And we were just chilling there. And then a police car showed up, and, um, and a police officer got out of the car, and he walked over to me sitting in the front lawn, and I remember the feeling I had deep down in my gut. It makes my heart race right now thinking about it. He just asked, you know, is your mum home? And I said, no, she's not. Is she okay? And he said, yeah, she's fine. We're going to come back later. And I just knew deep down you know, something's gone wrong. And it was true. My dad died of a drug overdose. And I felt it. And when we got the news, the whole family felt it. And you could imagine how that feels. The cafe was the single hardest thing I've done in my life. My whole cause was taken away a week before I opened the doors and, you know, I didn't have any help and I didn't have any business knowledge and I fought and I fought and things only got worse. We ran out of money and I got a second job and Lilu and I moved into the cafe to save money and then we moved into a car that someone gave us and finally, after all that, after 12 months, we lost it all and we had to shut the doors. I want you to imagine for a second You're under financial stress and relationship stress and family stress and grieving for your dad and suddenly the weight is lifted and you lose everything. And with that, you lose all your problems. The day after we closed the cafe was to this day one of the best days of my life. Lilu and I were sleeping in the car, in the car park on a headland overlooking the beach and I couldn't sleep that night. And I remember... It just seemed so calm and surreal. And I was looking out, just watching the sunrise coming up over the ocean. And I could feel the breeze coming in, like through the windows over my body. And it was complete silence besides the waves crashing. And I remember just looking out and I just felt so free. I just felt like, oh my God. In that exact moment, how I felt was I was the luckiest person on this planet. Like, I finally felt that. People said that, like I said at the start, but now I felt it. I am still alive. And I still, even though I've lost everything, I still have everything. I've lost everything, but I have enough. And having Lilu there next to me, and knowing that my family, you know, are still there, and knowing that my friends support me, I think, I think it's, that was just enough. So what happens when you fail? when everything is lost and everything you've worked for just disappears. I guess that's why we're so scared of failure, you know? Just losing what we've worked for and we've worked so hard to keep it going. We've fought so hard and then you fight and then being defeated. Those 12 months I had the cafe were the most challenging 12 months of my life and I gained a whole business degree in that time. You know, I learned how to serve clients and how to lead staff and how to manage money and how to give it your all, even if the outcome is failure. And I live by that business advice and everything that I learned today, and it's helped me so much. So to bring a positive out of something that was, could have been you know, an absolute disaster, and to many people it was a disaster, you can learn so much and you can get back up and you can be so much stronger the next time. You can be so much more empowered with the knowledge that you learned next time. 
So really, you have so much to gain. You know, if you're going into something like, why not go all in? Why not put yourself out there until you lose everything? What is this life? If you're not living it, then what are you doing with it? And that's, that's what I believe. This podcast episode is um, halfway through. I'm going to leave it here and I'm going to finish my story on the next episode. And I wanted to dive in how I started, um, what I did after the cafe and how I started my photography career and all the ups and downs that I've had in the last 10 years, I guess, with that. And just bring you some more exciting and wild stories. Why not share these experiences with people that can get something from it? And I love doing it. So yeah, if you love anything, you heard something on this podcast that resonated with you, jump over to my Instagram, say hi, and I'll see you soon. Spread the love and create opportunities for the people around you. Make Your Break is brought to you by Jai Long and produced at our in-house studio, Free the Bird Productions. We love creating opportunities for you and hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more information on this podcast, our online courses, products, workshops, or just want to say hi, we're here for you at jailong.co.